And on that note, let's start the podcast. Who's uh, running this? <laughs> I am. It's odd. I'm so odd um, these days, Ian. <laughs> I, have, I have gone through odd and come all the way back down to normal. I don't need to comment. <laughs> it's just. But our kitchen's done. Welcome to The Writer and the Critic, a monthly podcast devoted to books, reviews, and whatever else takes our fancy, which at the moment seems to be COVID. There's not much else to talk about. <laughs> we should just change that opening to books, reviews, and COVID <laughs> until further fucking notice. I'm your host, Kirsten McDermott. With me is Ian Mond. Hello, Ian. How are you? Yes, I'm good. Still in lockdown. Still in lockdown. We are now, uh, Melbourne is now the city. That's been the longest number of days of lockdown in the world. We have a record. In the world. Yes. Yay. Uh, not, not proud of that record, but there you go. It's, it, you know, it, it's a it's a record. Yeah. <laughs> it shows resilience, although that resilience seems to be. Um, oh, that, that resilience is well and truly uh, died. Um, yeah. Our fourth or fifth wave, I've lost count, is not great. But vaccines will hopefully uh, put a dent in it like it has in every other country because uh, we're yes. late to the vaccine game. So where all the other countries are going through their – they're now discussing booster shots, we ha- we're we only just starting to get a good chunk of our population vaccinated. So we just hit the 50% mark for 16-plus double-vaxxed. So, you know, a lot of other countries have um, well and truly surpassed that. So, so I'm, I'm hoping that just like – Every country has seen a dip where they've hit around about a 60, 65% double vaxxed for 16 plus adults. We'll start to see that dip. But then there'll be the there'll be the discussion around boosters. This is really not the this is not the uh, coronavirus Melbourne podcast, but <laughs> it, it does occupy uh, my mind. I, I can imagine it would occupy your mind quite a bit. Anyway, we shall move on though because we are sick of this virus and we are sick of the restrictions and the lockdowns and the talks of mandates, which are getting everybody fired up again because there is nothing an Australian likes less than being told what to do. So, yes, the whole talk about vaccine mandates, which are necessary, has gotten a whole bunch of people who are not anti-vaxxers and not anti-maskers gotten very het up. So that would be interesting. It's worth saying that we are the pro-mandated vaccine podcast as well. So we that, might upset, that, that, that might upset people. But <laughs> I you have don't, friends who okay, are not. Well, I mean, look, I would pro- say you don't, you, we, you don't have to be vaccinated to listen to the podcast, so you, you can yes, correct. listen to the yes, podcast. Correct. <laughs> we don't have any, like, secret little viruses that, that hunt you down and decide if you're Vaxxed or not, no, so, off, so you so. don't need to be. You don't need to have been first dosed by the middle of this month to have listened to listen to this podcast. You can. It might be all you can do <laughs> by the first of this. I mean, you know, like sit at home, listen to podcasts. That might be it, but you can. <laughs> I don't so know why welcome. I'm laughing because it's it's, <laughs> it's hysterical I, I, laughter. Let's face it. It's, it's just anyway. We're going to move on because we have books to talk about. So this month uh, we're doing something a little bit different. We're talking about two, not only two nonfiction books, but two memoirs which have a bit of crossover interest, I guess, in terms of their themes and their subject matter. 
We're going to be talking about The Cost of Living by Deborah Levy and Dissolve by Nikki Gemmel. So we're going to talk about the levy first, and I have a very small confession to make, Ian. This is not the book I thought it was <laughs> when I bought what it. What did you think it was? I actually, I mean, it's it's in the, it's in her um, like it's in the trilogy. I actually thought it was the first one um, in this little. Uh, I had wondered why you picked memoir. the middle book of a, a memoir series, but but someone had th- told me about it and like the first one, and I thought that sounds really interesting. And for some reason, when I was buying books, because I got a book gift voucher, which is. Such a long time since I've had a gift voucher, and you have to buy more than one book because it's and you and you suddenly you're picking books. And I went, oh, that Deborah Levy one. I've heard about that. I'll get that. And I didn't realize that it was not the exact volume of the memoir that I had thought I was getting. But it didn't matter because it is self-contained anyway. I am going to go back and buy the first and probably the third one. More than more than more than that. More than just it being self-contained. It's. Um... It's very much connected to the second book we're talking about. It uh, is, and it's really interesting, and I loved it. So I'm very, very glad I mistakenly <laughs> chose this book. Um, I will go back and read. I think it's called uh, Things I Don't Want to Know. Yeah, and then there's the third one is Real Estate. That came out uh, two years ago from memory. Yeah, it's something like that. But it, no, no, that came out, sorry. So this one, The Cost of Living, that came mm. out two years ago, and Real Estate came out this year. So I will go back and buy her first volume, which is Things I Don't Want to Know, and I'll, I'll get the third one to Real Estate uh, because this one was so good. So I'm looking forward to reading, uh, I guess, the two around it, and I'll probably read this one again in the middle when I do so. Have you read her fiction? Because I have. I have. I have. I've read um, Swimming Home, and I think that might be all I've read. I think I've read uh, – I think she had a, a, a novelette that I remember a few years ago. Um, but Swimming Home was the first fiction of Deborah Levy's I read, which I yeah. really liked. I like the, the style is – she writes in a very interesting way. In the reviews that I, that I kept turning up, it was most commonly described as elliptical, which – I think it's yeah, very that's exactly, fair. Yes, very, that's very that's fair. I, th- I think that's that's spot on. So I I've read Hot Milk and The Man Who Saw Everything. So the her last two books, she references Hot Milk in uh, in The Cost of Living. She does, um, and I want but, to read that now. I put that on my list of, of books to get. So if you were to go to my Goodreads account, you'll see I gave them <laughs> three three out of five stars, and I think the reason is um, is because of that ellipticalness that mm. they're. <laughs> Their story, they're not well. The narrative is not key to either of those books, um, and they're books that probably uh, require rereading. In fact, no, not probably. They do, especially the man who saw everything. That is a very that plays around. Not just uh, it's not just ambiguous. It plays around with time and all sorts of and memory and identity in in very very strange and discom- discombobulating ways. And as a result. Reading Levy's fiction is like, I'm going to use the cliche, uh, holding onto a bar of soap. It, it, it just slips <laughs> out of your hand. It's constantly slipping out of your hands. And, mm. and, 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 and you have to be in that mood. And I don't know if I was ever in that mood uh, when I read both those books because I was reading them because they were both nominated for the, for the booker. And yep. um, that's not – I've decided that that's a bad reason that's, to read books It's now. a bad reason to read books. <laughs> well, because it, 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 you, you need to be in a mood. Look, obviously, I, I know I mention every podcast, but I, I review. So when you're reviewing books, you just got to be in that review mindset. And for this too, obviously, we review books here. Mm. But if I'm not reviewing, 
uh, I need. I want to pick a book that I'm in the mood to read rather than uh, a book yeah, that's been nominated no, get, for an award. Yeah, getcha, getcha. So if, um, so if I was picking up those books now, I think I'd, I'd have a different mindset, especially now that I've read her nonfiction or this memoir. I've been a, certainly in a different mindset. Yeah, I really enjoyed what she was doing with The Cost of Living. So I guess what we should do before we get into the book discussion proper is read the back of the book. And I have a wonderful little paperback copy now. It is a really slim book. It's 30,000 words. Wow. Yeah. I thought it must have been well below 50. Okay. There we go. Um, So here is the the back cover copy. To separate from love is to live a risk-free life. What's the point of that sort of life? I was living in the Republic of Writing and Children. I was not Simone de Beauvoir after all. No, I had got off the train at a different stop, marriage, and stepped onto a different platform, children. She was my muse, but I was certainly not hers. Yet we had bought a ticket for the same train. The destination was to head towards a freer life. This is a vague destination. No one knows what it looks like when we get there. It's a journey without end, but I did not know that then. And that's not so much back cover copy as an extract (laughs) from the memoir. (laughs) Which makes a very nice introduction, actually. Maybe more back cover copies should just be extracts, which make this capsule flavour of the book. Yeah, well, well, it's very hard, you know, to, to back cover copy <laughs> or blurb a, a memoir. But that, that, that Simone de Beauvoir uh, point there just reminds me that both these books are very literary in, in as much as they are regularly referencing literary works and by by mostly not into, not all, not exclusively but mostly by women um yeah. so it, it's it's one of those interesting um for me anyway tidbits of these books that there's all the it, they they deliberately send you off to other works and other other writers uh many of you will have heard of it's not like they're not they're not they're not uh like the Gemmel, for example uh, draws heavily on plath and and virginia Woolf, etc but still it's it's wonderful that they do that, and they 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 sort of create this community uh, they of do. literary references. They, well, that, they that's situ- really they great. situate the author that you're reading in in yeah. this community, um, and as you say, with with both books, but with especially with the Gemmel in a community of um, female writers and and artists. Uh, the Nikki Gemmel book talks about uh, artists outside of the literary arts as well. But we'll we'll get to the Gemmel. What Levy definitely does is situate her own practice as an author, a very successful author, um, not only within this greater, I guess, literary world um, with an emphasis on, on, on female writers, but also within her greater world or what her greater world has been. So she, she talks about herself as an, a writer and an author and the work that she does and what, what she has done and what she's now doing at this time of her life as opposed to, as that extract indicated, her her work as a wife and a mother, one of which continues in this book. Yes. <laughs> well, it's not a spoiler. She's divorced. I mean, it's yeah. it, it, that, that's that's what it starts on on that point. And and in fact, it's it's interesting. Oh, I'm sorry to do this, but it's too, there are too many connections. It's your fault. Um, <laughs> that uh, the both. Books have, to an extent, as a pivot point or an underpinning aspect, is that they start with the fact that the narrator, being Gamble slash Levy, uh, mm-hmm. are coming off a relationship 
in one way or the other. So one is a divorce, one is a breakup. Now, with the Gemmel, it's different because it's it's reminiscing that it's not it's not a it's not a present and current situation. It's more, but it does literally begin with that moment. Uh, whereas the levy with the levy, it's more contemporary. It's it's of the now. It's of the now. That's the difference. One is of the now. One is is a reminiscence. But they both inform the memoirs that we're reading. There's more distance. There's more temporal distance between the inciting incident, I guess you'd say, of the Gemmel book than there is with the Levy. But there's Levy is still like this is still happened. It's she's yeah, not yeah, writing yeah, it as yes, it happens, yeah. like you know, page by day. Um, it's not a diary that she's keeping. She is writing a memoir. She is reflecting upon and thinking about what has happened. It's more recent history for her than it was for Gemmel yes. in her memoir. But um, it's it, it is a reflective book. It's it's a very smart book. It makes a lot of connections, and she does reflect way back on other parts of her life too. Um, you know, when she was married, when she was living with young children. It's not just about, as I said, it, it's not it's not a diary version of, of contemporaneous writing as as things happen. It, there is a lot of reflection and a lot of drawing of you know, strings and connections and, and um, conclusions. Yeah, but the po- yes, but the reason I raise it is because both books, for me, uh, were about what is the role, if, that, if such a thing exists, of the creative and aspirational woman in terms of their creativity when they're up against a patri- patriarchal system that's where, as... as um, as Levy says, uh, you know, paraphrasing uh, de Beauvoir, that has been marked out for men. So uh, to, to the, the quote is, women are not supposed to eclipse men in a world in which success and power are marked out for them. So to me, that, that actual point there, that idea of, of, mm. of, of success and power is marked out for men is the theme of both the cost of living and dissolve. They both have that same thread running through them in different ways. Uh, very different, very different styles and, and very yep. deliberately very different, which we'll get to. Um, but to me, that's the key uh, skeleton, whatever you want to call it, of both books, uh, theme, whatever. Yeah, you know. absolutely. I mean, w- women are support crew in a relationship. Yes. I you know, I could Why don't you say that? Women are support crew. That would be so much easier than, <laughs> like than the, the in, you know, in, in a In a, in a cishet relationship, um, Women are, are the support crew to to the male partner who does the work, does the art. If they're an artist, you know that's traditionally how it's been seen. The woman keeps the household, keeps the family. The man does the other stuff, which is seen as inherently important because it is out of the house. And there's yeah, none of this is new conversations. This is just what. I guess the bedrock of these books are bouncing off. I would argue, though, you're right; it's not new. But the fact that these books are not a hundred years old, uh, both were written in the last couple of years, and the fact that we have to keep saying this—not <laughs> women have yes. to keep saying this, not not men, women have to keep saying this—and yeah. spell it out speaks volumes. And and, and yeah. both are writing in a world where the president of America. Talked about grabbing another woman's uh, vagina, so that 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 and and again, sorry, Gemmel directly references that. So it's um, it's shocking because you're right, it, it, duh. But but here we are, here we are, <laughs> here we are, here we are. Yeah, it's so I I mean, like, to talk, I guess, specifics about uh, sorry, uh, apologies, apologies, just in general or. <laughs> 
because I'll take that. <laughs> no, no. I, th- yeah, apologies for being a man and apologies for trying to link these. Well, not try. These books are very close together, but you're right. We're talking about the levy and I keep dragging uh, Nikki Gemmell's book in. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. So- I'm sure when we're talking about the Nikki Gemmell book, we'll bring the levy back as well. But uh, one of the things I really loved about this book, she has a very wry, sometimes <gasps> sardonic way of That's exactly what I was going to say. Yes, keep going. Like observing the world and herself. She is, she's often stepped out of remove from herself. Like I said, this is not a contemporaneous diarised account of what is happening. I have no idea if Livy keeps such diaries or what they would look like, but this is not that. This is a very measured, out of remove observation of what is happening and of how she reacts and what she's thinking and why and her impressions and her her motivations, whether they're conscious or not, and they very often are not. And the other element, I guess the other element of change that we should mention is it's not just that she got divorced from her partner of several decades. I can't remember how long they're married, but her, her children are teenagers now uh, and she goes to live with them in a flat, which is very different from her house and and her standard of living, which is what the title of the book references, that this is the cost of this new life. The cost of this new life is considerable. It is a considerable financial cost in terms of the the income she's no longer earning as part of a combined income household with two adults earning money from various ways. Uh, she's now completely supporting her herself and, uh, you know, also partially supporting her children. So there's a financial cost, a, a dramatic financial cost, a dramatic reduction in, in her, her standard of living, as it were, on, on that measure. But there's also a time cost now. There, there is a, a, a cost now of, of having, surprisingly perhaps for Levy, because she does make a lot of, um, like she just talks a lot about how accurately as a wife and a mother she, she bore the brunt of the household responsibilities. But she still has those, of course. Like she still has yeah. those. They haven't gone away. Uh, she has no partner to, to help out in, in, however moderately. So they're all there too. It, it's a it's a, a huge cost. But the other element of change that winds through this book um, and gets more weight towards the end of it is the death of her mother, which happened around about this same time. And she writes about that so beautifully, The her mother's long illness and hospitalisation, that section about, Buying the icy pops at, yes. at the news agent, um, and and she so she's buying these particular ice treats because that's what all her mother can really eat when she's in hospice and and you know dying. Uh, and there are particular flavors that her mother likes, and the flavor her mother doesn't like is bubble gum. And at one point, that's all there is left. And um, it, it's a it's a beautiful scene, and the coda to that when she follows up later is just oh amazing. She writes with such sensitivity and self-knowledge. It's really, really lovely to see. And yet I I feel like there is, and, and quite rightly, that she has the right to do this as someone who's writing a memoir. There is very much the impression of a quite thick perspex wall between you and the author of this book with a great measure of honesty and a, and a great measure of generosity in, in sharing her experience and her thoughts about it, she is still keeping you very much at arm's length from Deborah Levy, the person. That's what her fiction does, I think. 
as well. Mm. It keeps you from arm's length to an extent with the characters. Um, and uh, But I felt that this had a lot more empathy. The, it, it, certainly those wry, sardonic observations. It's beautifully observed, the whole book. Mm. But it it's also uh, has those lovely human moments as you, the, the Icy Pop one. Is, is just is just beautiful, but there's also a scene uh, at a party that's that's nice, and they're just just these little bits, all all, all the interactions with her daughters, and mm. that that level of um, empathy, humanity, etc., is also not missing from her books, but it's it's again at at, at arm's length, uh, and it's a reason why I sort of feel like if, if I had time, I'd go back and reread them just to read them in that that context. But yeah, you're right. There's, there's, she's not giving us everything, and she has no intent to give us everything. And she doesn't have to. She doesn't have. No, to. no. You know, um, look, it's possible that the first book went more into her marriage. Uh, we, I haven't read it. Neither of you. Um, but it's her husband is very much a person on the outer, who mm. she still has a relationship with, but he's he's not a, a key character in this book. And again, for very good reason because of the change you've described. But yeah, yeah. It, 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 this isn't. There's the, there's no melodrama here. If that's if that's the way. No, it. and and the, at least the way she presents it, the the divorce and the the breakdown of the marriage. It's not even even breakdown seems too sharp a word. The the the, the dissolution of the marriage in a way, yes. the failure of, of the marriage to continue working once the children are nearly grown. It's not bitter. There's not a lot of recriminations there. And there may have been, we don't know, but the way it's presented is that it's not this horrible, bitter divorce where the the previous partners hate each other and are barely putting up with each other for the sake of co-parenting, that sort of thing. It's, it's not presented in that way at all. It's, it's Levy presents it in a way very much, you know, paraphrasing, obviously, but this is no longer working for me. I need to find something else. I need to find another way to live my life, which allows me to be who I want to be, and to live my yeah. life the way I need to live it. Yeah, yeah. And there's no, there's none of this idea in the in the book that the, her husband is stopping her from writing or stopping no. her from being creative. It's just that the what they've the relationship they have is simply not work, not allowing her to be realize her potential or realize her her creative aspirations. It's just not it's just not working for her. Um, and also, so, so, it's so, not- so it's more. So, just want to say, it's more nuanced and subtle than just the uh, horrible husband who's saying, "Well, you can't do this, you can't do that." It, it, it's not that at all. It's never presented as that, and you don't get the impression that that. It's not even that she's. It is that, but she's not telling us. It, if that doesn't feel like that at all, that as amicable as any breakup can be is what this is. It's just si- simply they, for what she wants to do with her career and her creativity, this this marriage just wasn't working and they tried i mean they've been together for two decades so it's not and she and she has been a very successful author like as you say while they were together she she, two of her novels were nominated for the man booker yeah she she's a successful author and and playwright by by any measure she has been very successful working within a marriage and being a mother which is interesting isn't it because obviously levy herself felt stifled by the situation and I think it's not even just Levy as an author or as a writer. It's Levy as a person. Like she just felt herself 
as a person, regardless of how she was able to write and the time she had for her creativity, as a person she felt she was stifled. And there's much discussion in this book about, I guess, the the title of wife and how very often that becomes, the wife and the mother becomes the identity of the woman. They are not yes. Deborah who also has children. They are not Deborah who is also married to X. There is my wife, my mother. What came out to me based on that is this idea, I think she says it explicitly, I don't think she says it this way though, uh, when do I become the main character in my own story? When, yeah. when, when, do, when do I become that person? And that to me is, yeah, so when, when am I not just the wife or the mother or the caregiver? When am I the, the main character, the protagonist, mm. where yeah. the focus, all the focus is on? And that's what she didn't feel and that's why we're, that's what the cost of living is about ultimately. Yeah, this is this is the cost she will she is willing to pay correct. in order to to live as herself. It's extraordinary because it's twenty nine thousand words long. And, <laughs> you know. you know, I, I, look, you said it's funny. You said you read it quickly. I didn't. Now I don't read anything quickly these days. <laughs> but in this case, uh, I actually did want to um, take my time because because the language she uses is so um, deliberate and. And just nice. <laughs> mm, it is. It is. And funny. There's. I'd be oh, great to write that review. Her language is nice. It's nice. <laughs> but she's so funny. Really, really funny. Like oh, and she's scene. hilariously funny. Yeah. The whole scene with the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we're not going to spoil because it's just so you, you're reading it and, and it's this comedy, literal comedy of errors on the page, and the and the, I guess the grand. Finale of this comedy. <laughs> it's just amazing. Um, so I'm going to leave that to you to discover readers. But there, it is delightful. There, these, like, it is not a, a, a dour book. It is not a, a book that's that's full of misery and oh, how terrible is my life now? But still, I like it more than being married. Um, it, it is not, and you get this absolute sense throughout the whole thing that despite the cost, despite the the changes and the the things which aren't quite right in her life anymore, which includes the flat she's living in, which has all sorts of plumbing problems and um, and so on. She is so much happier living this life, so much happier, so much herself, so much more liberated to be her own person. And it is not that she's not a mother anymore. She's absolutely a mother. She's still caring for her girls who primarily live with her. Uh, she hasn't, you know, abandoned the idea of, well, they're, they're teenagers now, they don't need me to be a mother anymore. She's still very much a mother. The thing that has been removed from the obligations of her life is the role of being a wife. Yeah, and it's interesting because Hot Milk is entirely about motherhood but the daughter-mother relationship. It's And, 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 and uh, it's told from the perspective of the daughter, uh, who's younger, Sophia, so about the age of her of, of Levy's daughters, and uh, at the time that she's writing mm. the story. But it's about a uh, a mother who's ill, um, not to the extent that Levy's mother is. Mm. Uh, in fact, they go to Greece to find uh, a, uh, some palliative cure for her mother. But um, it, it, again, it echoes obviously as all writing does to an extent. Uh, Levy's real life, but th- both sides, both her daughter's perspective of her and her perspective of her own mother is in hot 
is in hot milk, which oh. is also in this. So it, it, I really so do you want to see, read that. Yeah, so that's why, and that's why again, I say I really would like to read hot milk again, especially because having read this, I can see all the echoes, and it's mm. you go ah okay. Uh, I get it now. And uh, I, look, I probably should have figured out when I read Hot Milk the first time. I probably didn't need the primer in this book. But still, it just so connects together now. It's, yeah. But anyway, look, there it is. I'm not going to reread it, though. You can, re- you can read it, though, and tell me how much you loved it. Hot Milk? Yeah. Yes. No, I probably will. Uh, I mean, one of the, the things that I like about Levy's writing is, as I said, what reviewers have described as this elliptical nature and it is evident in this memoir too. She has a very skillful way of presenting vignettes, episodes that just sit there on the page and are in themselves a delight to read and might be funny or might be poignant or might be both. And then she will keep building and iterating on these things thematically. Yep. And she doesn't you know, point her finger at you and say, see, see what I mean by this? Do you get it? Do you get the metaphor? Do you get the reference? Do you get the illusion? Do you get what I'm saying? She just leaves these things there for you to read and to make the connections yourself. Well, when I say make, she's made the connections. She's just not explicitly pointing them out to you. And I appreciate that. The older I get and the more I read and the more I write, the more I appreciate authors trusting me as a reader and trusting that I'm going to understand what they're doing and I will make those connections that they have laid out in skeletal form and they don't need to flesh them out. And Levy does this brilliantly. Do you know who I also think is trusting of uh, the reader? (laughs) Is this a segue? (laughs) A patented Ian Munn segue? (laughs) I should get a little sound effect for those. (laughs) Who, Ian? Who is trusting of the reader? (laughs) Nikki Gamble, in Nikki her Gamble. memoir, Dissolve. Dissolve is I is an extraordinary book. I didn't read this for the podcast. It it came across um, dispatches, as it were, and I, I grabbed a copy because it sounded really interesting. And to be clear, you said to me, if I did not like this book, oh, we're no longer friends. Yeah. Do you want <laughs> Do you want to know now whether I liked it or not? Well, yeah, because it'll save us another half an hour. So. <laughs> No, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's very, it is. Yeah. It yeah, is. Uh, it's an ex- it extraordinary book. So I will read before again before we get any further. I'll read the back cover. It is a beautiful book, can I, I say. You, you don't have the hard copy, Ian, no. I assume. It is a beautiful little hardback with, with one of those Oh, is that silver? Covers. Is that, oh, it's, look how it's gorgeous the cover is. It's, gloss, it's glossy sort of that um, matte embossed type thing and it, it doesn't have a dust jacket it's just one of those lovely little laminated oh. hardcover books it's it's a it's just it's a book that I'm so glad I got as a book because it will kind of sit on my shelf of treasured books <laughs> um, but I'll read the, the the copy on the back which says all around you are little warning signs yet you do not heed them you sense you need to find the gift of a man who will let you be free to do what you really want in life right but you are tumbling into the vastness of a consuming passion. It is the willing violation of the clear, hard, glittery core of who you really are, but you don't care because you have in your grasp what you've always wanted, love. Having lived through the humiliation and bewildering complexity of heartbreak in her 20s, Nikki Gemmel eventually resurfaced, reclaimed space for herself and found her voice. 
Decades later, she has written Dissolve, a meditation on women's lives and creative desires. This is a deeply personal, profoundly intimate reflection on love and female creativity and what happens when the two collide in a man's world. Can I just quote one thing straight away? I just want to give everyone, this is actually right towards the end, this, but it's not a spoiler. It's a memoir, all right? It's... It's to do with her Spoiler, breakup. Spoiler, okay? Nikki Gamble becomes a successful author. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and obviously throughout the book it's been talking about uh, her relationship with this ex. And um, at this point, the, obviously this is before she meets her, her husband and uh, she is still seeing her ex uh, as friends with benefits essentially. But mm. there is an extraordinary sentence that I want to read. Because right towards the end, that last fuck taught you that graveyard sex, sex with an ex, was a territory brimming with sadness and dust and ghosts, and it just made you feel mournful and clingy and old. <laughs> oh. oh, do you know there's just there's just sometimes writing which is oh, you know it's yeah. Nikki Gemmell has an exquisite turn of phrase. And her writing is, as, yeah, as the first part of that, that cover that I read is an extract and the bit you just read, her prose is, is for the most part very straightforward. It's not flowery or, or elaborate, but she just presents these amazing, simple metaphors that feel like you already knew that, but you never were able to articulate it. <laughs> and she does it for you. It's It's wonderful. The first thing I want to say about Dissolve is that it's entirely written in second person, entirely. Now, that's a and big I, no-no for a lot of people. I first started reading it and, you know, you start reading it and it, it begins as a second person narrative and which is, you know, I thought, oh, this is the prologue, whatever, and then I kind of flicked and went, oh, my God, the whole book is in second person. Oh, I don't know if she's going to be able to pull this off, a whole memoir in second person. That's, wow. That. That's probably going to get grating. Oh, my God, listeners, it is amazing. This voice of this book is just pristine. It is She she doesn't miss a beat in in the the point of view or the tense. It's just beautiful. It's exquisite. So a lot of people don't like second person. It's one of those things that people go, it's third or first and that's it. I actually love second person and I have for a long time. Um, but I I did think about well, if I was a, a, a second person hater, what would I think of this book? And um, I think that she does it so incredibly well. In a sense, you do notice, but you don't, and because you become immersed in this experience, uh, that's what mm. she does. She brings you along, um, and that's what it's it's about. Um, and no, this is this is amazing. Second person. I think there's two, I guess, uh, drivers behind this which help, apart from the fact that Nikki Gamble is an amazing writer, but there's two things that help this second person, uh, that bolster this second person, the first of which is that it is it, it is a memoir. It's not fiction, right? You're not reading a novel written in second person. Like when we talk to each other just in real life in conversation, we employ second person a lot, a lot. We talk to each other in conversation. We say, oh, you know how when you're doing this and this happens and you just feel, we talk about this a lot in second person. And 
that sort of way we have of communicating and relating our own experiences to our listener is is replicated in this type of a memoir because we we as as communicators we employ second person regularly and often and we do it very effectively and we know when we're having a verbal conversation with a person exactly what that means and this is what Nikki Gemmell is leveraging in this type of a memoir. And because it's a memoir and not fiction, it's very easy to leverage. So we get it as the reader. This is someone saying, here's what happened to me. You probably have a common experience that you can relate to. So I'm going to bring you into my experience. And remember that time when you feel like this. I felt like this. Let's talk about it. So there's that wonderful, I guess, leveraging of a very natural human communication strategy which as a memoir works incredibly well. And then this other element, which I've been thinking about a lot while I was reading it and since I finished reading it a couple of months ago, and it's really, it's somewhat confronting to think about because I consider this is a, this is a book about female creativity and female authorship and a woman who is in a heterosexual relationship with a man who happens to be a writer or, or an artist, losing her own identity as a writer, as someone who creates because they are support crew to the much more important male writer, even when they're not more important. And if this is a memoir about that experience, a memoir which centres Nikki Gemmell, as she also, I think, as Levy said, talks about centering herself in her own narrative for once. Yep. The fact that she doesn't use first person, the fact that she's not all the way through saying, I, I felt this, I said this, this happened to me. It makes it less angry, perhaps. It makes it less barbed. It makes the reader somehow, especially perhaps a male reader, perhaps less confronted by the experience. And I don't know as much as I adored this second person voice, is it a somehow a defeatist voice? Is it I am not yet able to say I I, I will not yet say this is me, this happened to me, I think this, I don't like this, I didn't do that, I did this. Like, do you know what I'm saying? It's 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 like making yeah, it I do. easier. It's, make, it's, I do. it's kind of sugarcoating the accusations. It's sugarcoating the very angry barbed writing that is in this book by by bringing the reader into it and making this a communal experience. Yeah. Okay. So that's not that is a brilliant reading. Uh, it's not how I came to it, um, but I'm also male. <laughs> <laughs> I and just I so, just kept imagining. But, but, but can like, I just say to me? No, to me the you the you, mm. and this partly agrees with what you're saying. Gives it a universal flavour, not mm. directed just to not for men. Um, although every bloke should read this, but to speak about the issues that she faced, saying these are not unique to me, these are yeah. uh, issues we all as women face. 
and I think that's obvious. That's all, what this is obviously she's trying to do. But I do understand your secondary reading saying, yes, but that in doing that, it has that element of, yeah, but sometimes we have to embrace our experiences. We have to say, oh, I would say this happened to me, not to all of us, to me personally. And while that's obviously explicit while being implicit in the book, it's because still it's you're right. it's still that distance. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. But it's there's still that distance. And and if and actually the thing I was thinking about while I was reading it is if you if you didn't know it was a memoir, okay, and, and unlike the levy, mm. if you didn't know it was a memoir, you could read this as a fiction as a, as fiction. It is it is a beautifully told story. It has it has arcs and sub arcs. It has character development. It has turns and reveals. It is a correct. It is a it's structured like a novel. Very I mean, let's carefully I, structured narrative. And I haven't read her earlier work. In fact, I, this is the only thing of Gemmell's I've read. But as I understand it, her pre and in fact, it's it's described in this in this book. Her previous work has also been even her, her fiction has been very bi- autobiographical. So she's blurring a line there between mm. uh, what she does in her fiction and what she's done here. But you could read this easily as fiction. And as a result, it only in- enhances your point that there is that distance between the personal experience of Nikki Gamble versus the universal experience of all women and what that means uh, in terms of embracing that. And Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's it- just a voice trick. and. I ab like as I said, I love the second person voice in this book. I think the voice is amazing. And it's doing a very, very important thing. Um, it is acknowledging that for many of the readers of this book, especially women, especially creative women, there is an absolutely common experience here. And many of us are going to read this book going, oh my fucking God, that is my 20s. Oh, Fucking hell, I have thought that, done that, said that, not said that, not done that. And that is really important work that this voice is doing to include the readership and to make that assumption. And it's a bold assumption of of any author of memoir. It is a bold assumption to say, I'm not alone. This is not just my experience. There are going to be hundreds, thousands, millions of people who have this experience and I will acknowledge that. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> so this is yeah. also a book. Well, this is also a book by a woman where that woman's voice is muted. And it reminds me of the cat person story <laughs> in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. I, right? I, I, and yeah. and the, 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 the vitriol that was levelled at that author for a story that was assumed to be autobiographical and how dare she, how dare she talk about this an unnamed person in her life who did this thing, how dare she? How dare she do that as a woman, talk about the deficiencies of a man? Yeah, And I may not have thought about this had I not just read, read that opinion collection for the podcast and we talked a lot about Cat Person and, and the, I guess, the viral effect of that and, and what some of the, the blowback was against Repenian for writing and publishing Cat Person in the, in the New Yorker. And it made me think that if this book had been written you know, in first person, and if this had been a woman saying, because she, you know, as much as it's a, um, like it's not a particularly angry or bitter book the way it's written, there is a lot of anger and a lot of recrimination there, justifiably so with this person who's referred to as W. 
but you know, it's an it's a memoir. You could easily find out who this actual person is that just about left Nikki Gemmell at the altar after she had sacrificed so much and done so much in her life for this person and her potential marriage to this person. You could absolutely find out who that very real man is if you wanted to. I haven't. I don't care. And would this be a would 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 this be a case of a woman saying unkind things about a man who was just young and he's 20s and muddled and, you know, confused and understandable, which is what she says a lot of the time. She understands that she's not bitterly angry at him. She's more angry at herself. In retrospect, she was very angry with him at the time, but, you know, in retrospect, she's very angry at herself more than this, this fiancé that she had in her 20s. And I just wondered about that. Would would the first person have been too sharp a blade to use? And I don't know because it wasn't written in first person. We'll never know. We don't get to well, look at the Well, world. you could go about and just change all the use to eyes. Yes, and, but you don't uh, get this the- book released. But you don't get it released as first person. You don't get this, <laughs> oh, this is just a, a, a bitter memoir about a woman who got dumped by a man. And look, all these years later, she's still going on about it's it. It's funny you bring up the Repinion <laughs> because the Repinion is, is fiction. And yes, it's got yes. an element of biography to it but, but there was a massive assumption when it was published that yes but this is this is the thing you can never win yeah no can- oh my god Ian. it's like it's like what you've just said like women can never win women can never win so you could write a memoir and put <laughs> you in in a sense to potentially distance yourself and get knocked for it or just write fiction and get knocked for it and just, just, <laughs> just so in, in a sense maybe it would have been too sharp a blade but but i i'm sort of coming to your view that the eye has a real um, first person has a real power here to and and, mm. and and maybe that maybe having said all that, I love the literary the reference. Person, I wouldn't yes, actually and, want to yes, change it. And 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 baked into it is all as I said prior, all these literary references. Mm. Oh, Anna Noah's in there too. There's others, and and you, and that's part of that universal experience. So she's constantly quoting other women, um, for the most part, um, to to show different facets of a much broader conversation around being a woman, both in the 19th, uh, sorry, the 20th century and now. And, and so so yes, there is a universalism to the book. It's baked in, it's there. And so that's Mm. why I think the you see, would it have worked as a memoir if she does the I, but does all that quoting? Maybe it probably would have, she would have made it work anyway. She would have probably made it work, but 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 the way it's written, it's just so seamless and so beautiful that you think, ah, okay, that's the that's the project of this piece of work, and mm. I get it, and I understand it, and I love it for for being yeah. that. And it, it is for all we're talking about generalities and universality. It is it is very much Nikki Gemmell's story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. quotes, yeah. She quotes oh, yes, from her yes. diaries at the time. Yes. That she well, contemporaneously. Well, you, it's interesting because you said about the Levy that she, we don't know if Levy kept a di- diary mm. or that's not a diarized look at her life. Whereas with uh, Nikki Gemmell, she is keeping mm. a journal of nearly every day, and so yes. these are more than just uh, reminiscences, reminiscences or recollections of mm. hazy memory. These are. The, uh, the 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 feeling she had, the emotion she had at the time that she was experiencing them. Yeah, which she's she can now- go and tap straight back yes. into what what Correct. she did feel at the time. So it's not like there are when I say like there's bits of like they're yeah. very small excerpts. There's a line here or there, right? It's not, but it's, it's still not like visceral. It's visceral as a result. It is. Uh, yeah, yeah. But no, I, and and what Gemmell's talking about, you know, in a similar way, 
to, to Levy's concerns is, again, this, I mean, the book's called Dissolve. It's this dissolution of a creative woman's identity within a heterosexual relationship, particularly in Gemmell's case with, with a man who is also either a, an artist or just potentially an artist. <laughs> Men devour us. There's, those are the three words. That's halfway mm. through the book. Men devour us. That's, that's what Gemmell says. But as with the levy, there's, you know, some very barbed um, and very bald, you know, recountings of what happened in this particular relationship. She did almost get married to this person. Uh, she did give up her career and the place where she loved to live and move back to Sydney that she didn't like to live in for this person. She did a lot outside of the suspension of her creative work, as it were. She she just did a lot in her life so that her fiancé and almost husband, he called it off very close, like mid-wedding plans and everything, right? Places had been booked, caterers, florists, all of the stuff. It was not quite at the altar, but it was almost there. Um, she gave up a lot in her life, not just creatively, but in her actual life, how she, where she lived, what she did as a career, all of that stuff. She made radical changes because this person needed to live in Sydney. This person needed a particular way of living so he could write, so he could and, become and, a and, writer. And interestingly, it's her mother, again, like mm. Levy, it's her mother of all the people in the world who notices the trajectory that she's mm. about to head on and, and warns her of that. And. Mm. Uh, you know, in the way that a mother does, probably not in a particularly constructive way, <laughs> uh, but 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 still sees that trajectory, and that's mm. one of the things that Gemmell notes. There's a tragic after. I don't think it's in. The, I can't. No, I don't believe it. I might because I got confused because I did read a lot of reading around this. Yeah. So there's this uh, tragedy afterwards with her mother and how her mother passed away, which you can all look up yourself. But mm. it's interesting the role her mother plays in this book as well as an as. Someone who has gone through it, gone through this, because again, it's it, not universal in scare quotes. It's it's and there is a, a general a generality to this experience of men devouring us and trying to mm. educate a daughter of this, but also understanding that her daughter is going to make those mistakes um, mm. a, a, as they come. But so, may, maybe, hopefully, not in the same way. Same way, correct? I, exactly. I mean, can, can I just quote two bits? Please? I, there's so much I could just. I just kept highlighting this book. It's amazing. But just one little one, which is, and then a slightly longer one. So why do you loathe yourself so much? Who planted that seed? The world you suspect. So that's just a little thing, but just, oh, it's like a cool in the, in, in the gut. But this one about sex. So <laughs> I this is a corker. So it starts with all the questions. Why did it hurt? Why were you not enjoying it? Why was it so monotonous as they thrusted? Why did you never want it to go on for too long? Why did the big penises hurt when they were meant to be the coveted ones? Why did you feel deadened under them? Why did it feel humiliating when they came over your face and spread it across your skin and through your hair, sometimes rubbing it in for good measure? What imperative of ownership and erasure was going on there? As if you were not quite human, not thinking, reeling, blazing, bewildered you. That's, that's just... Her writing that's, that's, is magnificent. I sort of feel like this whole discussion could just be quoting chunks of this book and that would speak for itself. <laughs> we don't really need us. 
And yes, yeah, so if you wanted to know, do I love this book? Absolutely. And am I now sort of hankering to buy the hard copy? Uh, yeah, I am. I pro- it's probably a, it's won't. A very, it's a very pretty book. It's a very, it, it very pretty It is extremely pretty, pretty but... Uh, so, for, so I think you'll see. I think you'll see for me that that, that what gravity, her actual personal experiences, while interesting, it was that more universal stuff. That that's what affected me as a man on this, um, <laughs> which is important because, to know. Because, well, well, it is because because <laughs> there's a critique going on here of of, of the patriarchy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, a pretty savage one. And guess who's a member? Hello. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, you can I, either what's learn. really yeah okay go yeah, I was going to say what what is really interesting about dissolve is and and levy's book does this too in a way is the acknowledgement that this is not um you know this is not individual men for the most part in in these women's experiences um stopping them writing Yep. is very often the women themselves. And when I say the women themselves, I don't mean, um, you know, it's it's their fault. It is the society and the culture that is constantly pushing women to to be the support crew, to be the, the you know, the, the person who takes care of stuff, to be all this sort of thing. And so Gemmel is constantly talking to her younger self and saying, "This is this is what you you did, and and why why did you do that? Writing was so important to you. Creative writing was the most important thing in your life. How did this relationship with this person just subsume that? How did that happen? How did you let that happen? And of course, the the big part of that answer is the world." helped you let that happen. The world says he is more important than you. His work is more important than you. He, if he becomes a writer, his writing will be more important than yours. So why wouldn't you put, yeah. dissolve yourself in service to that? Why wouldn't it's, you? Yeah. That, you know, and that's, I guess, the at the core of this book is this idea that there, there is this sense of, of gratification. You, you are serving some. And, of course, the tragedy is that very often the types of creative women who do this are not only, you know, could not only become great writers and artists themselves were they not eaten up by the patriarchal world, they might be better than the men. The men themselves may not be that great. So there's this... So, so the thing I wanted to say to that is that there's this glorious paradox in the, at the end, which is that it's a man, an older man, uh, the, her editor, uh, who essentially lifts her out, uh, inspires her to be a writer through his kindness, his advice, his mentorship. Mm. And the paradox there is that that's wonderful, but, again, it's a man who's done that and it's the patriarchy, as I read it, choosing. He is the chosen woman. She she can be. You can be good. You can be <laughs> successful. The rest just stay back there. But you will. You're fine. Every so often, we'll choose one from the pack, and that's not the way Gemmel describes it. But I, I, that's the sort of paradox that worked through me. That it, it wasn't other women that, although she quotes other women as inspiration. In her actual life, it wasn't another woman that lifted her up beyond her mother. Do, do you see where I'm coming I, from? It, I, it, I do. Ultimately, it was a man. I do. And unlike uh, Levy's memoir where she is leaving a marriage and has no, at least at the time she's writing, no great desire to repartner 
her her goal is to to remain um, herself and to remain signal and, and and to devote herself to her her work as well as her children. But that's that's it. She has you know, and that is where she finds her freedom the, to to not have to partner anybody, to not have to be devoting a significant part of herself to another adult's well being. Whereas where Nikki Gemmell found her freedom because she she also became a wife and a mother later, not with W, the person that this book's about. What, what the book's about Nikki Gemmell, the person. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that the Support young Nikki Gemmell had the relationship with um, that ended badly. She has found her her freedom and her ability to be herself as a writer in a marriage with a man who understands that, who is not a himself creative, who, you know, takes on the burden of childcare and the household regularly so she can just go off and write and not have to have this mental load all the time of being the wife and the mother and the, and the housekeeper. So Nikki's book is not about, well, well, a woman can never partner in a, into a, a heterosexual relationship because that will destroy her creativity. It's about finding a partner who understands the the pressures and the the immensity of the patriarchal system to work against a creative woman who is partnered into patriarchy and i think from what you know in response to what you were saying that is part of how it has to work if this is what patriarchy is doing Part of that has to be those who benefit from patriarchy recognising that and doing their part to break it. It can't just be about women. Like it has to be about women helping each other, but patriarchy does an incredible job of isolating women from each other and turning us against each other and telling us we shouldn't be friends and there can be only one and blah, blah, blah. And it's a, that in itself is a difficult thing for women to get through along with everything else. So part of it has to be men going, this is shit, let's break it. This is shit, let's help you find a space within it. And that has to be part of it. It can't just be women trying to break patriarchy because that will never work on its own. Yep. I think that's a, I think that's a perfect note to end the podcast. I love this book so much. I think we could say we love both of them, and yeah. Uh, and yeah, you, you should jump out now and read them. Absolutely, Absolutely. and they're both short. Um, uh, we said uh, the levies, uh, like I said, barely a novella length, and uh, and yes, I know word counts because of uh, I use caliber to figure that out. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, um, the 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 gemmels double, so it's sixty thousand words. It's yeah. not long, and. And it's, the, it, it is such an engaging book. Like yes, you, you, yes. You read it and you read yeah. it. Yeah. Funny, the Levy, the, Levy, the Levy felt around the same length because of the way Levy writes uh, to the Gemmel. Mm. The Gemmel I zip through. Um, it is. It is uh, like sitting down and having a, a long conversation over coffee or wine or boat yeah. or whatever your, your beverage of choice is with someone that you've you've known forever who understands you and it's just amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. such a wonderful book to read. I can't wait to reread it. I'm going to reread it again before the end of the year. And, and this time, oh, I'm going really? to get my okay. highlighter out and highlight it. Oh, seriously? <laughs> so do it on the don't 
Don't besmirch that beautiful book, Kirsten. No, because here's the thing, Ian. Get a Kindle I, thing and do what I no, do. Because, no, 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 oh. no, 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 no. I, I, I used to be, and I still no. am. I am, I am battling it. I used to be. You cannot mar the book. Do you not? If you, if you, even pencils in textbooks. Oh, bad. If the book is pristine. The book is the book. Do not, do not dog ear a corner. Do not underline. Oh my goodness! If you, if you, if you spat a spaghetti sauce on it while you're reading, oh, worst thing ever. The book is ruined. You know what? I think that's bullshit. I read a really, really good um, Tumblr post or something about. There is a little community out there about for, for um, mostly young people who just heavily, heavily annotate their books, and they underline and they highlight and they make doodles and, and notes in the margins and, and then they will share these books with their friends, like the same book that that friend has read. And I read this great Tumblr post which was talking about how doing that, that makes it your book, right? Otherwise it's just the book that everyone else reads and has read. If you highlight the bits you enjoy, if you make your little notes in the margins and, and your little questions and your little disagreements or your, or your you know, your confirmations of what you're reading and you do all that 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 book becomes unique that book is yours you have made that book your book you have reflected your individual reading experience of that book and then I think about sometimes when I have bought secondhand copies of books and there are little marginalia or inscriptions or something I love them I love them. I have a copy of Kissing the Witch by Emma Donoghue, which is a, a fairy nested fairy tale collection, and I bought it just before my PhD because I needed a like a hard copy of it, and it arrived. And it was this book has it's got highlighter through it because I bought it from one of those online op shoppy ones. It's, it was yeah. a hard to find at the time, or I was just being cheap. Who knows? And it's got pen annotations through it and underlines and everything. And I was first of all really cross when it arrived. It's like, oh my god, this book is so marked up, it's useless. How am I going to mark it up myself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I love that copy and I'll never get rid of it. I love reading what this unknown reader thought and what they thought was important and what they questioned and what they challenged and what they went, oh, yes, this is perfect. It's just so, yes, anyway, that's my little rant about why you should actually mark up and annotate your books. You have been very persuasive and convincing. I (laughs) won't be doing it. That's why I have electronic books. In the old days, they used to use commonplace books. So if they if they if they got a quote from a from a book that they loved, they didn't mark it in the book. They would have their own journal. They called them commonplace books, and they would mm-hmm. transcribe it. And people still do that. And I can I can see that, but I can also see what you're saying being a far more intimate experience. Than and let and let's tra- face it, back in the day, like decades and decades <laughs> ago, books were a bit more expensive. They were rarer, yeah. right? You you didn't want to mark up one of these very expensive resources. But now, I mean, come on. But the Gemmel like- book looks so gorgeous. The Levy, it's nice. It's a nice book, but the Gemmel's gorgeous. Yeah. But I, fine, I don't know. I, fine. I'm a convert to annotating and marginalia. Why don't you just take the Gemmel book now and just crack the spine? Just go and do it. Go, just just, just kill it. I don't want to ruin the book. So here you're, you're equating to my enhancement of the book with ruining it. I, I take offence. <laughs> Were you not right. listening to the last 10 minutes of my rant? <laughs> I did, and it was very persuasive, and I'm now I've got a few books out there, and I'm taking a Sharpie to them, and I'm going to start scribbling <laughs> on them and going – Oh, that was a good – I'll just write, that was a good bit in big letters. You won't be able to actually read the words now underneath, but it'll say, that was a good bit. And then I'll share it around with people. I I feel Um, like you're mocking me. Maybe a little bit. But, 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 (laughs) no, I hear what you're saying and it's lovely. I just – 
it makes me feel slightly nauseous and um, that's all. But it's funny I think, because- I think you just have to get over that. I now only buy books uh, from people where the book itself is, is the beautiful object, like mm-hmm. uh, the small presses I buy from um, and everything else I do via the old Kindle machine. So to me now it's even more heightened, this idea of uh, not besmirching said book. But, but I hear you, Kirsten. I hear you. I understand. <laughs> we'll have a... Slight difference of but one thing we can agree on is that these two books, whether you annotate them or not, are magnificent. That's it. Yes, they are. They are. All right. What are we doing next month, Kirsten? <laughs> next month we are looking – we're back to novels, people. So you'll be <laughs> back to our core – our core uh, – Our core – our mandate. We're back to our core mandate. That's right. So we are uh, – two novels. I've not read either of them. The first one is Little Eve by Catriona Ward, which I've chosen on spec. Again, one of those things that looked interesting. And the second one is Light Perpetual by Frances Spufford, which Ian's chosen for what? Yes, reason? which, which well, uh, first off, I've been meaning to read Frances. Frances Spufford is one of those writers who's been around for some time, who everyone I know loves and who I've just never got around to reading. So Light Perpetual. Same for Catriona Ward. There we go. There you go. <laughs> So Light Perpetual was nominated for the Booker. I don't think it was shortlisted, but it probably was. So I'll, I'll correct that. I'm not, I'm not going to check it now. Um, but it was this was it was nominated though. So at least for the long list. Um, and yeah, and I've heard only great things about it. Um, it's a little bit controversial, which is something. Uh, oh, fun. A little bit, like teeny weeny. It's on, on a taxonomy issue. We'll talk about it when we when we get. She to is it. like a uh, semicolon wrong or something. No, it, it's <laughs> due to the premise of the book as to whether you can actually determine whether it's speculative fiction or not. It's one of those discussions. In fact, we may not even have that discussion because I'm. I think tired. we should leave that aside because that's a bit boring. That one. Yeah, anyway, but, but, so. the, but the book hopefully will not be. So that's what we'll be. Uh, shall be reading. <laughs> so they're the two: Little Eve by Catriona Ward and Light Perpetual yes. by Frances Spufford. There's already a new Catriona Ward that I want to read, <laughs> but I've chosen this one. I'll stay with this one. This is the one I have in my house. It's fine. I'll get the other one later and read it as well. All right. Well, how, how do you wait? You've never read any of her work, so what about if this? No, is I a, know. All right. That, that was, that was very, I'm sorry, listeners. Okay, is, that was not one of Ian's painters' segues. <laughs> I don't know what that was. I'm just saying you're, you're about to invest in a book on a writer whose other book you haven't read, and it could be garbage. It could be hot I garbage. I didn't say I was about to buy that book. I said I have this one first. I will read it, but there's already another one that I really want to read. All right. Well, no pressure, Katrina Ward. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Please send feedback by <laughs> commenting at the website, which is writerandcritic.podbean.com, sending an email to writerandcritic at gmail.com, or following us on Twitter, which is at writerandcritic, although I don't think we're very active anymore. Uh, well, I don't do it anymore, so I think we might as well I just got that. a reminder from Twitter the other day going, you haven't tweeted for a while. It's like, no, nah, probably last month when I did the link. <laughs> <laughs> and sponsors on Patreon, if you can. Thank you to our lovely sponsors. We do love you. You do help keep the lights on, and we appreciate you all. And I would like to hear, actually, on this whole book annotation debate, how many people out there do annotate their books and how many thought my rant was the most horrific thing they'd heard in a long time? <laughs> I'd really be interested to know. Thank, yeah, that would be great. 
Cool. All righty. We'll talk to you next month. Happy reading. Happy reading, Ian. And uh, for those of you uh, who haven't already, go get vaccinated. <laughs> please I, do. I, I had to throw it in. Yes. We'd all like all to right. get out of here at some point this year. Yes, please. Okay. See so you all. And good reading. To- <laughs> 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 I'll tell you what, let's just end with and good reading to you all. There you go. Good, that sounds nice. Good reading to you all. Bye. Bye. Oh, oh my god. I've completely <laughs> lost the plot. Completely. Me too.